Well, I'm going to invite everyone to look in their worship guide on page three uh, for the adult guide. I'm going to read the scripture passage that's printed and then invite you to respond as directed below. Would you hear now these words from Exodus chapter 15? Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Hangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. 
the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning and welcome again. I want to ask every single one of you, kids and adults, I want you to think of one of the most spectacular things that you have seen if you're an adult in your growing up years, right? So think back to your childhood and think back to one thing. It doesn't have to be number one, but it has to be top five. Uh, one thing that sticks out to you as the most spectacular, amazing thing that you ever witnessed. Because I and you never know. I may, I may copy Sam and call on you. But I want you to think about that while I tell you my example. Okay, kids, most amazing thing you've ever seen, right? Uh, adults, most of thing you ever amazing thing you ever seen while growing up. So for me. There are two, uh, well, there's one when I was growing up that comes to my mind and is, is on my mind in particular because after service today, I am going to engage in a very important part of discipleship for those of us who have boys, especially, right? If you have boys, I just want to exhort you to do as I am doing. And after service today, uh, my boys and I will be going to Washington, D.C., where we will be visiting the space shuttle, Okay. So if you have, this is very critical. Everyone has to see the space shuttle in real life. It's a very important part of growing up. And I say that because uh, how I would answer this question with the most spectacular thing uh, that I've ever seen growing up is my parents once took me to Florida and we were able to witness the launch of the space shuttle at night. And it was incredible. I still... Sam and I were talking about it this morning. I can still remember the black sky turning blue like the sunrise was taking place in just a matter of seconds. Most spectacular thing uh, I saw growing up. I wonder, kids, anyone have an answer for me? Most spectacular thing? Who's got an answer? Right there. Yes. What? What? Oh, in a mansion. All right, thank you. Very good. All right, well, let me call on Sam. Most amazing thing you saw growing up. And by the way, you totally deserve being put on the spot. <laughs> Just for the record. It does. We'll wait. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's, that's very, so he's saying the most amazing thing he'd ever seen was the birth uh, of a child. And I actually would have answered that um, in the same way had I not put those earlier parameters on it. Well, kids, listen up, kids. What I want, you to, want to tell you is uh, I want to help you get into the mind of kids who were in our story, right, singing this song. You know what they would all have answered? 
If you were a kid growing up when this song was written and pastor got up and said, I'm going to call on you. It's the most spectacular thing you've ever seen. You know what every single one would say? Right? Every single one would say, when we were by the water and it stood up so that we could cross by. And so I want you to look at me, kids. This is what I want you to draw. I want you to draw yourself like this, looking up at a really tall wall of water, okay? That's your first trying. You looking up at a really tall wall of water. So friends, uh, we come to this passage that uh, is recording for us how it is that Israel responded to God hearing their prayers and rescuing them in the most spectacular way. So our sermon series has been uh, becoming reacquainted with the power of God, right? And it concerns a people who had heard, they had heard traditions and legends and stories of the God of heaven doing incredible things, but they were not experiencing those incredible things, right? They were experiencing oppression. They were experiencing mistreatment. And they cried and cried out and cried out, And for a while, it gets worse. Their mistreatment gets worse. They start uh, escalating the oppression, escalating the control, escalating the hard labor that they were given. But then through a series of profound miracles with the Red Sea as the grand finale of them all, they have crossed over and are now finally safe from the Egyptian army. And I want to help you appreciate this, right? Scripture actually gives us this detail, right? Uh, Scripture tells us that this song was sung, right, as they were watching the bodies of the Egyptian military wash up on the shore, right? And I want to, you need to help, you need to get into their head, okay? Here they are being pursued by the greatest military in the world at that time, Right? Their uniforms would have been made with the best materials. They had the best charities. Charities? Probably not. Best chariots. Um, best technology, right? They had, the, they had the equivalent of the F-22, right? If you don't know what that is, please go look it up and you're welcome. Okay? Best airplane, best uh, fighter aircraft today, by, by all accounts, is the F-22. They would have had the equivalent in chariots and in technology. And here is Israel running from them. They are now pinned down at the Red Sea. God raises the walls of water and they walk through. The Egyptians follow them and then God crushes the Egyptians as they are pursuing Israel. And they are standing on the other side of the Red Sea watching these these uniformed soldiers who had been going for their lives washing up on the sea. And the scripture is uh, intent to tell us how it is that they responded, right? How do you respond if, if God hears our prayers and you experience his power, as I am hoping and praying that you do, how, what does it look like when that happens? What does it look like? And the answer is you worship, right? That if this, what I am uh, praying and hoping happens, that you would experience his power, one of the ways you know is that you respond in worship. And in particular, the way that Israel responds 
is by making art. Israel responds to the profound, unrivaled power of God by creating something beautiful. And I want to speak to those of you here today who don't believe as we do. If you're here and you say, you know, I'm just here fulfilling a family commitment, Um, I don't believe any of this stuff, I think this is a fairy tale, Uh, it's not historical, Um, you know, God is not real, God is a fiction, as someone said uh, recently in my hearing. I want to ask you this question, if that's true, right, if God is not real, if this is uh, fiction, if if we are simply uh, the product of random reactions happening in the universe, then I want you to tell me what is the essence of beauty, right? What is the essence of beauty? What is the essence of art? And it's a hard question to answer from an atheistic worldview um, because the answers always fall short. You see, but the Bible tells us that God seems to really value certain art. And when he acts in the most spectacular ways, you'll notice that there is very often singing, right? So for example, when God creates the heavens and the earth, this is what scripture tells us. God is speaking to Job. He's um, revealing himself. And this is what he says. He says, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then listen to this. When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Right? So when God is creating the heavens and the earth, when he is putting together this masterpiece, what's happening? Answer? His creation is singing. Well, let's think of another event, right? When God chooses to come and enter earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ, how does that happen? Answer? (laughs) There is a choir singing, declaring his arrival. And I want to just point out something obvious, but that often goes unnoticed, and that is this. Scripture would strongly suggest that God enjoys this kind of singing. Scripture would strongly suggest that God enjoys this kind of singing and that he has wired us to participate in art in general and then singing in specific. Uh, It's interesting, the global music industry last year uh, had a combined revenue of $19.1 billion. $19.1 billion, and I would like to point out, and that is for the music that was actually paid for, okay? (laughs) Right? The pirated music does not count towards that. Uh, music that was not sold does not count towards that, right? Singer-songwriters writing music that never makes a dime, not included in that. But just the music that actually is sold, that people are actually paying for in 2018, $19.1 billion. Right? And music has be- is and always has been, and I believe always will be, a profoundly important part of the world in which we live, right? And friends, if, you, if you're here today and you don't believe as we do, and you say, you know, we are the product of random chances, you will have a hard time explaining that, right? But if you are here and you are open to the reality that perhaps we have a creator 
And perhaps he enjoys music and art, because he is an artist, then it would follow that he has made us in his image to likewise participate in those things. It's interesting, um, in the New Testament, Paul will actually not simply participate in singing, not simply observe its force in our world, but he will go as far to exhort the church to be part of it. So in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And, uh, you know, what I'd like to point out is that this passage, for me, in, in a lot of ways, actually represented one of the more difficult passages to present to you, okay? This passage in particular Right? This grand piece of art, this incredible song, this in- unparalleled victory represented for me something that was particularly difficult to present to you. Why is that? Right? Why would this be difficult to present to you? And the reason is, friends, because for some of you, for many of you, you are in the equivalent of still being in Egypt being pounded down, crying out to God, and you are feeling like he is not hearing you, right? Some of you are in that space. Some of you are in the space of waiting, and you're saying, this song of victory could not pose a greater contrast to what I am feeling, right? And I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, God, how am I going to preach this to those people in particular? Some of you I also want to point out, are not in that space. I recently had a great privilege, one of the greatest privileges as a pastor. I had visited uh, someone a couple years back, and my memory of that visit is summed up in the word tears. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of aching for God to move. Recently, visited the same person, and the joy was just out of this world, right? That they were in this place of the victory song, right? But many of you are not in that space, right? Many of you are still in the space of crying out um, and waiting for God's powerful arm to be revealed. And friends, what I want to do is try to help all of you, whether you are in the space of victory, whether you are beaming with joy, or whether you are feeling abandoned by God, wherever you are, I want to try to help you enter into this scripture and see what it has to teach us. Because God recorded it for a reason. So kids, what I want you to do uh, is I want you to go ahead and move on to the next drawing. Okay, move on to the next drawing. So this song is recorded for us with profound victory And the chorus uh, that they mention here uh, is the triumph of the Lord, referenced in verse 21. Uh, Also, to quote verse 6, it says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send them out in fury. It consumes them by uh, like stubble. You see, friends, this song captures the unrivaled, unparalleled victory of God, and it records it for 
God's people, including you, to know all the way through the ages why. Well, we're going to answer that, I hope, right now, okay? So kids, what I want you to do is draw yourself on a very hot day looking very thirsty. This should be easy at this time of year, okay? Right? I have a friend who laments water bottles. He says, you know, all these kids today go around with, you know, disposable water bottles. He said, when I was a kid, we were thirsty, okay? We didn't have water bottles. We had a, maybe had a water fountain, and if we didn't, we just were thirsty. Um, so, he, so he's a fun person. But I want you to draw yourself on a very hot day looking very thirsty. So I had a little bit, a little bit, I think, um, of an experience of bitter water. I actually have a couple stories, but I had to censor them because the kids are here. I'm sorry. Um, but the one that is uncensored is this. It happened in April of this year. Okay, in April of this year, I uh, have developed a real enjoyment of sugar-free iced tea, right? I mean, when we go to Redner's, Owen and I, we buy every container that's on the shelf of the unsweetened peach or the um, sugar-free peach iced tea. You see, the you see the row of containers and there's just a hole after we're done, okay? True story. And... Um, we have a, just a delight in uh, iced tea. So, back in April, uh, I was thirsty, and I, uh, Amelia agreed to bring me a glass of iced tea. And I thought, wow, that's not usually happened. But I was really thankful, really excited for it. And, you know, I began to drink it, and it was the most putrid thing I have ever tasted in my life. Because in addition to iced tea, it was containing a liberal amount of uh, apple cider vinegar, okay? Because it was April Fool's Day, and my kids have learned about the art of pranking, okay? So I, <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the one that does not need to be censored. The, ones, the other ones are, I'll tell you some other time, okay? But that was, it was one of the most putrid experiences, and friends, uh, if you've ever experienced anything like that, perhaps you can appreciate, right, this uh, numbered at about two million people. They move on from God's most amazing display of power, which specifically, by the way, is over water. They move on and they come to a place and they say, eh, this looks like a good place to camp, you know, let's start feeding the cattle. And, you know, I've been thirsty from a long walk. And just like me, they dip their hands in, they bring it to their mouth, spit it out all over the place. And then they realize that there is nothing to drink. They are in a space where there is nothing to drink. And what they do is they start to freak out, right? I want you to imagine you were in that space. Um, if you were in a space where you had a very basic human need, right, and you had just been walking probably by foot, maybe by animal, for a long time, you get to a place you're absolutely famished, right, you bring the water to your mouth, and it is the most putrid thing that you have ever tasted. And then you realize that there is no water that's actually able to be consumed. What would you do, I wonder? Well, what Israel does is it uses this word grumble, that they grumble to Moses. 
And Moses responds by crying out to the Lord, and the Lord responds by showing him a log. He puts the log in the water, and all of a sudden, the water, it says, is sweet, right? It becomes sweet water. And uh, the people, no doubt, would have been grateful for that, but it's interesting because the Scripture in verse 25 says this. It says, at this place where there was the bitter water, it says that the Lord tested them, that the Lord tested them. And friends, what we're seeing uh, in the development of the Exodus story, what we're seeing in this development is this, that people experience God's power one day, and the next day when they come in need, it's like his power never, ever happened right? Where do we see that at first? Pharaoh, okay? Right? The whole point of Pharaoh is that over and over and over and over again, he is getting pummeled literally to death by the power of God. And the next day, when he has to make a major decision, it is though he has forgotten about it, right? His heart is described to be hardened. But you see, what God is showing us in the Exodus story goes beyond that. Because just like Pharaoh experiences day after day after day the profound, unrivaled, earth-shattering power of God and then forgets about it the next day, God's people Israel does the exact same thing. Right? They had just come from experiencing God taking water and making it stand really high so that they could cross through. God demonstrates his profound control over this substance, and they repent these words of victory. They move on, and then when they come to need, they respond with grumbling, right? They respond with grumbling. And it's interesting because what God is saying there is that he is testing them. And why, why is he doing that for them? Why might he be doing that for you? And the answer, of course, uh, is in the last uh, part of the second to last paragraph where he says, if you listen to my voice, give ear, do what's right, give ear to my commands, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Why? For I am the Lord, your healer. See, what God is doing is he's making a distinction between the people of Egypt and between his people. And he's saying, you know, people of Egypt, I revealed myself purely in power and purely in judgment. But for you, I reveal myself differently. I reveal myself as your healer. That is my identity, is that I am the one who heals you. And we ask this question, why is it Uh, that we have this song here. Why is it that this is recorded? And friends, I believe the reason is because just like Israel goes from dancing in one paragraph to grumbling in the next paragraph, you do the exact same thing. Every single one of you, myself included, right? The principle is this, that simply experiencing the power of God does not guarantee that you will have faith, right? And that is the point. If you want to know what the point is, what is is he driving home? What is he testing there? Answer, he is testing their 
faith. Will they trust in him when it looks like he's not going to provide? Will they cry out to him? Will they say, you know what? God has this. You know what? We're going to put our energy into crying out to God. Instead, they despair, right? What was that test revealing? Answer, even though they had seen with their eyes, even though they had touched the dry ground with their feet, even though they saw the floating Egyptians, they did not have faith yet, right? And that is the point, not just of this passage, but of the better part of the Scripture, right? James will say this. He will finally get it in the New Testament. He'll say, blessed are you when you come into trials, testing, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And friends, that I believe is what God is doing here. Right? God takes his people, exposes them to his unrivaled raw power, and then leads them into a time, into a place where they can either persevere through something that's very frightening, believing in God, believing in his power, crying out to him in prayer, doing all those things, or that circumstance can reveal the fact that their faith is without substance, right? And in the same way, friends, those of you who are in this space today, who are in the space of still being in Egypt, crying out, wondering if the legends you heard are real, right? In the same way, what God is saying to you this morning, what he is doing in you this morning, what he is doing in this season, is he is developing testing, trying your faith. Therefore, therefore, if that is true, then the way that this passage would plead with you to respond, whether you are in a season of celebration or a season of darkness, the way this passage would plead with you to respond is in faith, right? Those of you in this space right now, I want to exhort you with all the power of Scripture, with all the authority that I have, no matter how dark it looks, no matter how much you are despairing, God is real. And His power can overcome anything that you are facing. For some of you, you may not realize this until the kingdom comes. You may not see it until the kingdom comes. We know tragedy, we know death, we know disappointment. But God's word to you today is that I am real. I have power over the water. I can make it stand up really high. I can make Egyptians float up on the shore. I can do all these things. Would you trust me? That is the simple word of Scripture to you today. And uh, we have this really interesting way that God does deliver them. I wonder if you find it interesting. I find it really interesting. God responds to the prayer of Moses by showing him a log, right? Here's water. You know, the last thing, you know, there are some scientists that try to argue that there's a certain property of logs to, like, produce a chemical reaction. I'm not a chemist, but pretty sure that, you know, that is not a satisfactory explanation for water that would feed two million people, okay? Even if it could do that, you take a lot of logs to cleanse that amount of water. Am I right, Sam? Okay, am I right, other chemists who are here? <laughs> okay, 
right? So it's very interesting that God responds to Moses and says, take this log, throw it into the water. He takes the log, he throws it in the water. The water that was previously bitter becomes sweet, right? Why? Why is he doing that? Well, friends, I think that the people at that time would have found it very mysterious, but we who are here today have a very clear explanation. You see, what God is doing throughout Exodus and what he is doing so spectacularly in this passage is he is declaring over and over and over again, the bitterness will be removed, the salvation will come to you primarily when my son comes to earth. It's interesting, if you go back and you read the account of Jesus on the cross, right, what is he given to drink? Right? He's, giving, he's given no water, he's given sour wine. And I believe what the scripture is telling us is that when Jesus was there on the cross, what he was doing was absorbing the bitterness in this world, the bitterness that you're facing, and he's giving of himself to transform that bitterness into something sweet. So kids, what I want you to do is I want you to draw a picture of a pond of water, and in the middle of that pond, I want you to draw a cross. Because that is the message of the Lord today. That God does care about the bitterness that you're tasting. And we know that because this table tells us that God was willing to give not just a piece of creation, right? Not just this log that Moses found, he was willing to give his own perfect, treasured son whom we have worshipped this morning. So my plea for you, my plea for all of us here today, kids included, is that you would take some time to evaluate where you are at with faith and that this table, this gospel, these words might lead you to God, whether you're in a season of celebration or a season of bitterness, that it would lead you to Him in such a way that you persevere, you trust, you worship, that this song becomes part of your experience. Let me pray for us.